Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer, in for Stephen Henderson today. You know, this time next week, we will be on the air asking for your support as part of our fall on-air fundraiser. If you love this show and if you listen every single day, but you've never made a donation before, please support us for the first time. Local shows like Detroit Today, they're our most costly service that we provide here at WDET. And of course, as a nonprofit, WDET is mindful of every single dollar and your gift. It, t- it takes us a step closer to raising the amount of money we need to make up a very significant shortfall in our budget by September 30th. Of course, the pandemic has hit everyone hard uh, and WDET is certainly not immune to that. So secure the local programs you rely on with your gift now at WDET.org. We're living through one of the worst economic crises America has ever experienced. Roughly 55 million people have filed for unemployment since the coronavirus pandemic hit back in March. More than 70,000 small businesses have closed forever. The Aspen Institute estimates one in five renters are at risk of being evicted by the end of this month. With all the uncertainty and upheaval in our economy and the world more generally, what kinds of decisions should we be making with our own money right now? What does all this mean for our ability to plan for the future or even just get through the day? A little later in the hour, we're going to be having a really great conversation about the gig economy in the era of COVID-19 and why economist, sociologist, and author Juliet Shore says it's been hijacked But first, here to talk about how the pandemic is affecting our personal finances is Matthew Rowling, Executive Director of Wayne State's Office of uh, Business Innovation. He also teaches personal finance at Wayne State's Business School. Matt, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning, Jake. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, So, so Matt, it was funny because I I was thinking about the last time you were here on the show, and it seemed so recently to me, but then I looked back, and it was right before... COVID hit Michigan back in early March. Uh, so it's been, it seems like so much has happened since then. So talk about the disruptions that we're seeing in people's personal finances uh, because of this crisis. Well, isn't that the thing? I mean, I remember speaking with Stephen, it must have been the first week of March. Uh, and we're talking about, oh, you know, the, the shocks to the market from this virus that, that was popping up in China and what right. it meant for the, the, the rest of the world. And uh, my gosh, it, 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 doesn't that seem like a lifetime ago? Um, you, you know, at the uh, with the lead-in, Jake, you talked about the uh, 55 million Americans that are unemployed, uh, and, I, and I think it's important to kind of uh, understand, you know, who those people are. I mean, when you, when you look at the most common jobs in the U.S., you know, you have bartender, uh, food food preparation, servers, uh, retail clerks, and so uh, you know, with with the uh, lockdowns and shelter-in-place orders that happened across the U.S., it, it um, you know, the uh, the measures that were taken in order to contain the virus have, have disproportionately affected um, those types of jobs. You know, the, the the people that are you know kind of on the front lines, uh, either you know serving food or or uh, helping uh, you know make sure that we uh, get the things that we need or able to shop. Uh, so uh, it's it's been it's been it's been uh, you know the, everyone's been calling it unprecedented, and that's obviously the best way to, to think about it. But I just think it's important to understand that the people who have really been most uh, acutely affected by what happened. It's interesting because this kind of situation obviously affects everyone, but uh, as you mentioned, that it affects certain people a lot more. Um, you know, when it comes to 
uh, when you're talking to to people uh, every day about you know things about saving and and being able to plan and and things like that, uh, those really sort of personal decisions that people have to make in this situation. What are you what are you hearing from from your people, and what are you thinking about as someone who studies this? You know, it's when you, when you think about uh, the decisions that we need to make in order to help support our households, Jake. I mean, there's there's a there's a there's a quantitatively correct answer, but there's also a psychologically correct answer. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I, I kind of asked on, on my Facebook page, you know, what what, what people were uh, worrying about, and and the answers were were so fascinating. You know, some people were worried about um, you know not giving enough during this time of social upheaval and, and trying to be supportive of you know the, the the haves, if you will, you know, being concerned about not doing a good enough job of supporting the have-nots. You know, people worried about. Um, if whether or not the housing market would, would the bottom would fall out of the housing market, uh, people worried about, you know, the future of unemployment, right? Uh, you know, the 55 million people who are, who are out of work right now in America. Uh, so they really run the gamut. I, I think, you know, every household's different and every person, you know, kind of has their, their own, um, the, their own issues that, that might, um, trigger or unsettle them. Um, some of the rules, you know, that, um, some of the rules that, you might typically prescribe have, have kind of been might be uh, put on the, the back burner for a minute or two as, as you kind of really focus on short-term stability. And so, for instance, historically, uh, most uh, personal finance professionals would recommend three to six months of uh, safety cash in an emergency fund to help make sure you can write out any shocks. Uh, but now that, that number is nine months or 12 months or 18 months. And so uh, cash is king in a way that it, it really never has been before. Uh, because, you know, we really don't know what's around the corner. And, and sure, we're starting to see the curve, uh, the case curve flatten across the U.S., but there's still a lot of work that remains to be done. And we're just starting to measure the impact uh, that this has had on the long-term uh, health of the U.S. economy. So it, it's kind of, it, it kind of remains to be seen. So, so the more cash that you can have set aside to protect yourself and your family, you know, the better. Um, you know, one thing I think that it's, it's really important to point out is, you know, for the families that have uh, incomes over household incomes over a hundred thousand um, dollars, you know, they've they've been relatively, they're, they're kind of, you know, and I know this doesn't apply for everyone, but they're kind of living their best life. You know, the, the, the markets took a nosedive, but then they came roaring back. Um, I think if you were, if your household income is over a hundred thousand dollars, you have your unemployment rate is, you know, something like seven or eight percent. Um, you're spending more time with your your family. You're able to save more money. Uh, so, you know, this is really kind of becoming a tale of two economies. Mm. Uh, you know, we've been talking a lot about the supplemental unemployment benefits that the federal government provides. Of course, that was that was originally $600 per week under the CARES Act. Uh, that's now reduced to 300 in some states, $400 in most states um, under President Trump's executive order. Uh, what's going on with that, and, and what has the impact been? Well, you know, Jake, as, as soon as the ink was dry on the CARES Act, Congress knew that that supplemental benefit was only going to run through July. And uh, as we all know, they were unable to get to, uh, they were unable to make any progress on a new deal. So, you know, it was, it was disappointing. Um, and, and certainly, um, you know, you can, you can place a lot of blame for uh, what's happened the last six months, the doorsteps of the administration. But I think you also have to kind of uh, give credit where credit's due. And they, the presidential, um, executive orders that came out after the impasse with Congress were, um, you know, they were the right thing to do. 
And um, although it's it's a stopgap measure and it's a little bit unorthodox, but essentially what um, President Trump did was he authorized, I think it was about $50, $55 billion uh, from FEMA's budget um, to be used for uh, supplemental unemployment insurance from the federal government. Uh, states have to apply to it, and, and some states uh, uh, decided not to do it. Uh, and uh, and also there has to be a little bit of work for the state unemployment systems to talk to the federal government in order to access those funds. It is retroactive uh, to August 1st, and if so if you're already in the system and you're, you're already working on uh, applying for this new aid, uh, you should be okay and you should be able to access it retroactively. Having said that, um, I believe that most people predict that this amount of benefit might only last five to six weeks uh, before it gets uh, before it gets exhausted. So, uh, and you know, unless something miraculous happens with the economy and those 55 million people are able to go back to work in the next month or two, um, odds are that Congress is ultimately going to have to come up with something new to help support those who can't go back to work. Mm. You're listening to 1019 WDET. This is Detroit Today. I'm I'm Jake Neer, in for Stephen Henderson, and I'm speaking with Matthew Rowling. He's the executive director of Wayne State's Office of Business Innovation. He also teaches personal finance here at Wayne State's Business School. And we want to hear from you. You know, how has the pandemic, how has it affected your pocketbooks and your own spending decisions? How has it changed the ways in which you spend your money or the ways you get that money in the first place? Um, How has it affected your ability to plan for the future and your family's future? And are you spending more money or less money right now? And how has that affected your ability to save? Uh, The number on the lines is 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. We especially want to hear from you if you're someone who has found yourself unemployed or has has had to make real significant changes in your plans when it comes to your finances. Again, the number is 313-577-1019. You can also go on Twitter and use the hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. So, Matthew Rowling, you know, uh, talk about, you mentioned earlier about the ways that um, that cash right now is so important. Um, and and we, we talked uh, before the show and, and you mentioned uh, the ways that people are uh, sort of tapping their own nest eggs, you know, retirement funds, other savings, their own assets uh, to get through this. Uh, talk about what, what people are doing there and uh, whether or not that's, those, those are good things to do right now. Well, I mean, every situation is different, but there's a lot of different options available to families, and each option has its own kind of pros and cons and risks. Um, probably the best, the, the best, the, the highest and best option, if, if it's available to you, is to uh, refinance your mortgage if you have a home. And if you have any equity or are able to uh, refinance a home that has uh, increased in value, which many homes have in the last six months, uh, somewhat paradoxically, um, the interest rates are so low that if you can refinance your mortgage and cash out uh, some money, take some cash out of your home's equity, that's the cheapest. And, and, and in some, some cases, the largest amount of capital that you might be able to access. Um, it's important to note that if you participated in any type of mortgage forbearance agreement or if you otherwise missed payments in the last six to seven months, that option might be more difficult for you to access. Uh, 
But all things equal, for for any family that has that available to them, that's probably your best bet to park some extra money on your on your on your balance sheet or put some extra money in your pocket, so to speak. Um, a lot of Americans also might have education, uh, healthcare, or retirement accounts uh, that have uh, have built then value over the years. Um, you know, the CARES Act that uh, Congress passed earlier this year in response to the virus took away uh, 10% uh, early withdrawal penalty that 401ks had historically had. Uh, you know, the government, the way that 401k and other individual retirement accounts were built is that, you know, we, they, they really didn't want us to access the cash early. You know, they, they wanted it to be a savings account that would grow in value and be there for us to supplement Social Security when we retire. Uh, those have been temporarily waived. And so in many cases, you should seriously look at um, an IRA or 401k or 403b if you work in education as a place to potentially take some money out. Um, you know, there are risks to it. Uh, and, and certainly, if, if I, I think it's not quite the last resort, last resort. But um, if you're taking uh, material amounts of money out of your retirement accounts, you know, that that's kind of that has to be done under the premise that you you know in the future you're able to replenish that money so that when you do retire later in life um, that you are able to pay it back. Um, one thing I want to you know just kind of insert here, Jake, is you know when a lot of us um, you know uh, the, the the economy these days is, is um, a lot of us might think that we'll be able to work well past sixty or sixty five. And certainly, you know, most labor in 2020 is much less demanding than it was for our parents and our grandparents. But I think the thing people have to keep in mind is that a lot of the benefits that our parents and parent, grandparents had when it came to, you know, their employer paying for health care in their, in their golden years um, isn't, isn't really around anymore. And so a lot of your savings, uh, a lot of the money that you might be putting in that retirement account, while we might imagine it to be for, you know, boats or golfing or grandchildren, a lot of it's probably going to be spent on healthcare, mm. and and so you know if you don't have that money available, then you have to rely on uh, Medicaid, Medicare, or other programs that you know might not be available. To, you know, it might not be as robust or substantial as the healthcare you can purchase for yourself. So, food for thought for people who are considering taking money out of 401ks or IRAs, um, education trust accounts um, can also be a place that might have some might have turned into a little bit of a nest egg. Um, they're a little bit easier to tap than the retirement accounts. Um, credit cards also, you know, I, 99, 99 times out of 100, I would advise anyone against, you know, uh, taking a substantial cash advance or otherwise paying your bills with credit cards. Sure. But when faced with some of the alternatives, like a payday lender or, you know, maybe seriously uh, harming your, your ability to retire someday, um, the credit card actually isn't a, a terrible idea. And on top of that, um, credit cards, credit card debt is usually dischargeable in bankruptcy while, um, retirement accounts are usually protected. Uh, and so, you know, if you, if you are in a really, really tight spot and you, you know, you put a, you know, five or six months of your life on the credit card on the plastic, um, you know, and ultimately you have to file for a personal bankruptcy, um, you know, those, those, those debts go away. Um, Clearly, there's a there's a big hit. There can be a big hit to your credit, and it might be harder for any type of uh, you know 
loans uh, for you to for you to be approved for any loans for you know period of you know typically seven years seven or so years depending upon the type of bankruptcy, but in in a crazy way in the right circumstance that that might be a better outcome than you know burning through a large amount of your retirement money. Um, and, and, the, and the only po- sorry, keep going. You know, no, no, no. The, you know, the, I, I'm I'm also you know I, I think that you know just to to kind of also you know bring up one other potential trap. Um, you know, payday loans, payday loans are very accessible, uh, but they can also create kind of a toxic cycle. And, you know, if you, if you borrow a hundred dollars, uh, from a payday lender, you know, the, um, and you roll it, or if you keep renewing that loan for an entire year, the, that, the cost of that loan for that year is usually around four to $500. Um, so I think payday loans should only be used if, if it's the life or death uh, if it's a life or death situation. And, and funny enough, that was exactly my next question. That was my follow-up that I was going to get to there is about uh, predatory lending. Uh, you know, it makes me wonder when you're talking about the ways that people are trying to get more cash right now, that are, you know, people are, are looking into these things. Uh, I know that some laws have passed in, in recent years to try to uh, address predatory lending, but are you noticing anything right now in terms of uh, uh, that being more prevalent or, uh, you know, traps that, that uh, you know, are being set for a lot of people right now? Oh boy, you know that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, anytime you have uh, some type of calamity or natural disaster or you know economic um, uh, uh, trouble, the the fraudsters and the shysters and the grifters, you know, they they kind of come out of the woodwork. Uh, so I think you know, it, just as a good best practice, everyone should be a little extra vigilant for any phone calls or uh, emails that might cross your path. Um, having said that, I haven't you know. The payday lending industry was was, in my opinion, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, taking advantage of people and, and, and generally behaving badly before any of this happened. And I'm sure none of that's changed. Mm. So uh, I, 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 I haven't. I'm not close enough to the industry to tell you whether or not um, they've been impacted for better or worse. Sure. Uh, but I, I'm not aware of any specific legislation that's covered them one way or the other. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, now, um, but we only have about a couple minutes left here, but I want to talk a little bit about the stock market before we have to wrap up. You know, you, when you were on uh, before the pandemic talking about how volatile the Dow Jones was, again, that was before all this happened. Now the market has nosedived and come back up again, as you mentioned. And we're at a point now where the market's actually way up, uh, but the economy itself is in shambles. So what's important to keep in mind about that uh, sort of strange dynamic we're living through right now? Well, there's, there's a couple of things. You know, number one, uh, the, the, 10, the top 10% households by wealth own 90% of the stocks, roughly, in America. And, and so you know, when you look at the market the major market indices, you know, the Dow, the S and P, and you know, the Nasdaq, they they're not they're not a they they're not an indicator of the Main Street economy. They're an indicator of how wealthy Americans are doing. Right, that's that's the number one thing to keep in mind. And so, if the market's up or down, it, it really it's it's totally divorced from you know the on the ground realities of the U.S. economy. You know, number two, um, the uh, the, the the six six largest tech stocks, you know, the usual suspects: Apple, Google, Microsoft, Facebook, Amazon, etc. They are responsible for, I believe, almost ninety percent of the recovery 
of the stock market mm-hmm. uh, because you know they they have uh, you know not quite there. There's a, there's a lot of monopolistic aspects of those companies, and we need them, right? I mean, Amazon, Facebook, Google uh, have all proven themselves to uh, uh, be remarkably important in this world where we're all staying at home. Uh, and and so they're just the sheer size and value of these companies has played a very large role in the market's recovery. Mm. Um, so I'd, I'd say those are two really important things to keep in mind. Um, and if you want a little bit of a hot take, <laughs> the fact that you know the fact that sports hasn't been around the last six months, um, I think you've seen a lot of new investors who were are recovering or, uh, you know, our, our sports gamblers or wagers who are, who need a fix and, huh. and the market is a great fix. So there's been a tremendous growth in new brokerage accounts in the last six months. Well, that, that is, that's a point we'll have to follow up on for sure. That's an interesting <laughs> one right there. All right. Matthew Rowling, executive director of Wayne state's office of business innovation. Thank you so much for joining us here on uh, Detroit today. Thanks for having me, Jake. It was a lot of fun. All right, coming up, we'll talk about the gig economy with economist and sociologist Juliet Shore, author of After the Gig, How the Sharing Economy Got Hijacked and How to Win It Back. That's coming up on Detroit Today.